Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I am Kaylee Fretz, and we've got something uh, a bit different for you today. We actually want to address, well, a, a, a big issue currently coursing through the cycling world. Uh, you may have seen some posts recently about the upcoming World Cyclocross Championships in Arkansas relating to some pretty horrible bills that are going through or have already gone through the legislature in that state. And so we wanted to use this platform and our podcast because, uh, well, it's an easy way to talk to you all in a, in a way that makes a lot of sense, I think, to just talk about this and talk about where we're coming from and also speak to someone who is sort of much more personally affected by this than any of the three of us. And I should say that uh, the three of us today is myself, James Wong, and Abby Mickey. James, maybe you could intro Chris Stefano. Um, yeah, so Chris Stefano is someone I've known for quite a long time. Uh, I, I mentioned this in the conversation that I had with him that um, I think my first interaction with him was very early in 2006. So um, we go back a pretty long way at this point. And uh, so he's been in the industry for a very long time. Most people who have been in the bike industry for even just a modest amount of time will at least know of him. Um, and he's, he's based in Portland. He's been there for, I think, 15, 16 years, something like that. And he has certainly taken a very vocal stance on, on this issue, uh, partially because he has a trans daughter. So it is a very personal issue for him. Uh, one thing I want to point out that uh, this is obviously very personal for Chris. Uh, if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking to yourself, like, you know, you're throwing your hands up in the air and you're screaming, you know, hey, stay in your lane, cycling tips, stick to cycling, so on, that, you know, that sort of thing. This is not the first time that we have brought up a political topic, as many of you will know. This certainly will not be the last time when we do it. And no doubt... This is going to open us up to an awful lot of hate mail because it happens every time we bring up anything that's remotely controversial that is not related to cycling. With that said, I do ask at least that you hear us out on this because you are going to think to yourself that this doesn't affect you. This has nothing to do with cycling, but I would beg to differ. 100%. So we'll hear from Chris in a little bit. Uh James, before we do, what uh, what are the bills that we're talking about? Well, so I had to do a fair bit of digging into this because uh, there have been a bunch of kind of differing messages that have gone out about all this stuff. And it turns out there are three separate bills in Arkansas. Um, it's If you want to look them up, uh, they're not long. They're pretty easy to go through. It's SB 289, SB 354, and HB 1570. Uh, so one of them, uh, it... it completely prohibits medical personnel from uh, from performing procedures or applying treatments to uh, basically help trans minors become physically who they are in terms of, you know, in their brain. Like if they, they could have been born as a boy, but if they believe that they're a girl and want to become physically a girl and they want to do that before they are a minor... They are, you know, medical personnel in Arkansas are now not, not, they don't just have the right to refuse that treatment or to deny that treatment. They are now prohibited from doing it. Um, so there's another one that was, that was signed into law that prohibits trans girls and women from participating in 
K through 12 and collegiate women's sports. Um, and then there is also uh, SB 289, which is probably the most controversial one, I would say, that allows medical practitioners, healthcare institutions, and healthcare payers to to deny service based on you know their right of conscience, religious beliefs, that sort of thing. So it's quite broadly written. All right. Well, let's hear let's hear what CD had to say, and then we'll discuss it on the other side. Chris, it's it's good to see you again. It's been it's been quite a while, actually. Yes. Well, you know, Instagram. I feel like I see you every day. True, true. But I mean, as far as face to face, I haven't actually seen your face in person in certainly more than a year at this point. And how's that feeling? Good, bad? Where am I in things? <laughs> it feels good. It feels good. Okay. Uh, I mean, it it was it's interesting because I was actually looking through my email archives just to see how long I've known you. And my oldest interaction that I can find that I know of is from January of 2006. I think you were still working for Chris King at the time. Was it a good email? <laughs> what was going on? What were we doing in 2006? I think that Gosh. particular email was just a press release. So it was, it was okay. not really a whole lot of anything. But point point being, um, I, you know, full disclosure to anyone listening to this right now, I mean, I, I, I have known you for quite a while. Um, but for people who don't know you... Uh, Chris Stefano is not really a name that, you know, really a lot of people outside of the industry or any of your personal contacts will necessarily recognize. Um, but I would maybe argue that a whole lot of people who have been in the industry for even a modest period of time will probably have crossed paths with you at some point. So I guess just to provide a little bit of background uh, for people who don't know who you are, can you just say, you know, who you are, what you do, and kind of what you've been working on for the last few years? Well, yes, I am Chris Stefano, And yes, people have heard of me, but it's the comedian. There's a very famous comedian right now by that name. Oh, interesting. And so, Yes. And so I do get a lot of uh, DMs um, and I have to disappoint those people that, and tell them, like, if you want to follow me, it's going to be bicycles, basketball and cats. Like, that's what you're going to get from <laughs> me. And you'd be surprised how many people stick around for that. Um, so... Um, I live in Portland, Oregon. I've been here 17 years. I was in Orange County, um, California, 10 years prior to that. And I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, um, you know, prior to that. So found my way into cycling. Um, terrible bike racer, loved bike racing. So I enjoyed uh, the scene and, and just became a mechanic and came in as a neutral service mechanic and got my start with Shimano. Um, they were the ones that brought me into the scene and brought me to the West Coast. And, and I made so many friends uh, in my time there. Um, and so I went from Mono to Chris King to Rafa. I think it was Rafa after that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I enjoyed um, a period of time with uh, River City Bicycles. Oh, right. I forgot um, about that one. Yeah. 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 That was, that was fun. And did some, you know, policy and some marketing there. And, you know, because River City Bicycles is, is sometimes bigger than so many of the brands that they actually sell. Um, and from there, I went to Chrome. And after Chrome, um, I've been to Cycle Oregon. There, there was a stint at IMBA too, wasn't there? No, I was a board member for IMBA. Oh, okay. That's what it was. From okay. 2000 to 2004. So. Okay. Well, either way, point being... You've been around the block a few times as far as... I have, and I'm a busybody. And I will also point out, you probably know me because for, what, a 
two, two and a half decades, I gave away a lot of XTR and Duraace and a lot of Chris <laughs> King. So I got a lot of friends for that. It's right. just like when I need something, maybe not. So right. no, I joke. I joke. Um, it, it's been great. It's been a, I couldn't be, you know, happier with how things worked out for me. Cool. Cool. Well, um, like I said, I think my first interaction with you was, you know, early in 2006. And back then, I think, what, your oldest kid at that point was, what, five, I guess? Six. So Six. it's easy. My kids are 2000 and 2004, both Olympic oh. years. That's Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. Well, either yeah. way, I mean, six, uh, it's certainly not much younger than my daughter is now. Um, and I, well, I guess, you know, the, one of the reasons why we're talking to you today is because of your kid. Tell me a little bit about your kid. I mean, why why is your kid a subject of conversation right now? Well, it's 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 my oldest, Heather, who um, will be twenty one in November, and you are, are here. Um, my my oldest is transgender. Um, came out freshman year of high school. I can't even remember when that is these days. It's so hard to remember back past across the back of the past year. Um, and when I saw what was happening in Arkansas and I saw your tweet about standing for more than just sweet trails, I figured I would put something up on, you know, my quote I call my life channel, Instagram, right? You know, so I just put up a note that said, hey, um, I've really been wanting to go to Bentonville and I've told anyone who will listen, I want to go to Bentonville. I'm also nearing the point where my youngest, who's a high school junior, will be graduating. And after 17, 18 years in Portland, I'm ready to live somewhere else. Um, I know I've championed this place, but I'm def definitely ready for more. And I'm definitely ready to live in a community that has more bike riding that's accessible by riding my bike to those to, to the trails. And so Bentonville has been on my list. Gosh, I just so desperately wanted to go last year and then, you know, COVID hit and we didn't go anywhere. And so I was planning a trip in May to visit a friend who has family there, spend some real time there, see what it was like. And then these bills start to, to come out. I mean, not only a really restrictive anti-abortion bill, but, you know, anti-LGBTQ bill for, for health care and then anti-trans. And I thought, well... I'm just going to tell some of the people what's up with me. And so I said, I'm not going on my trip in May and I'm not going to go to Fayetteville world cup or world championships. Unless I didn't, this is not an absolute. There's an unless, unless I understand more. And the more I thought about it, the less I understood about what's actually happening there. Um, I understand what's happening in the state and I just decided that great trails were not enough for me. I have absolutely no doubt that just by virtue of us bringing up this topic on a cycling podcast, and we've heard people complain about us in the past kind of getting political and stuff like that, like, oh, you know, you should stick to cycling, stay in your lane, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, I just want to emphasize that the reason why we're bringing this up is because you know, I, I, and I prob probably will repeat this once or twice at some point during this podcast episode, but, you know, none of us, no matter how much we ride bikes, we don't spend all day on a bike. Our existence is not necessarily on a bicycle. We don't only exist as cyclists and we are regular people. We have lives, we have families, that sort of thing. And 
there is certainly a tie-in with cycling a lot of times in terms of how it affects our day-to-day lives. And this seemed like one of those instances where where those worlds kind of collided a little bit. I mean, there's been a lot of talk now as far as, you know, sort of essentially boycotting cross worlds uh, in Fayette in October because of these bills that have popped up in Arkansas. Um, And, you know, you know, we at, at cycling tips, we've already kind of laid our position down that we're, we're not going to cover the race uh, until something changes with, with this stuff. And, you know, that will make plenty of people unhappy. I understand that. I can accept that. We are bound to get plenty of hate mail and negative reviews and whatever, and so be it. Um, But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this really felt like a good, a good hill to to die on, I should say. Like, it, it seemed like a good, it seemed like a good topic or good position to, to kind of like, or, or a good thing to kind of take a stand on. Um, ha- have you talked to your daughter as far as how this makes her feel? How does this make you feel? I, she's really even keeled and I'm always impressed with just how calm and gracious and even keeled as a 21 year old she is in this world that we live in and with all the things that are <laughs> Any kid who's 21 right now is facing, you know, job insecurity, housing insecurity, all kinds of things. Uh, it, it really is me. And, and I'll tell you, James, what what gets to me, I mean, you know that advocacy has always been a big part of my work. And getting more people on bikes means that we have to think about who those people are and why they want to be on bikes. And I, and I always refer to, you know, Roger Geller, um, who's a transportation person here with the Portland Bureau of Transportation and his four types of cyclists. You know, there's the there's this the strong and confident one percent, the um, um, strong and fearless one percent, enthused and confident six percent, the uh, interested but concerned at sixty percent, and then the remaining thirty whatever percent are the no way no how. So we just scrub them out. Bike industries always wanted the sixty percent, wants them desperately but just continues to market and build to the 1%. And to me, that just seems, okay, well, why, why are we doing this? <laughs> you know, like we, we know we want all these communities to come and ride bikes. And we say to them, bikes are fun. And then they show up and they either don't see themselves represented, don't feel safe, don't feel like there's anyone who looks, thinks, acts, or even understands them. You know, and there re- really is a shortage of listening first and foremost, and then understanding. Um, You know, I've learned a great deal over the past few years, and I've learned a great deal from um, a number of people in different communities who want to ride bikes. And you learn that a lot of what we do and promote isn't appealing to them. A lot of people don't like the way bike shops smell. You and I probably love it. It feels like home to me. I have the best memories from bike shops. But for a lot of people, that isn't the case. And, right. you know, so for me, so now we take it back to the racing, like racing is this, is this, is this, you know, we, we put our best foot forward with this race, you know, it's, it brings the economic boom, it's, it's bright and it's colorful and it has all these, you know, beautiful people and this thing, but it isn't really for or about everyone. Um, I'm not saying boycott the event. I've had calls from bike brands, bike teams, racers retired and otherwise, you know, what should I do? 
And I tell most people, like, I think you know what you got to do. You know, there's a there's a cross country mountain bike race there this weekend. Correct the, the U.S. Cup or I forget, but there's points towards Tokyo. Like, I'm not going to tell an athlete. And I, I had someone ask me, "What should I do?" It's like you need to go to that race. You you need to pursue your sport and you need to represent yourself and 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 what you do there. And you have a, a you can make a statement there and you have a chance to speak your voice there. I'm less vital, so I can choose to not go. I really, I'm gonna miss going in May. I'm gonna miss potentially going to Worlds when it's in North American soil. I saw what Road Worlds did for Richmond, my hometown. Um, so I'm not saying don't go, I'm saying everybody has to do what they have to do, but I would, hope that the major sponsors behind the race and the people who have brought it there understand it has to be about more than the good trails and the pro riders and the VIP tent, because that is not going to bring those 60% of people. I mean, like you said, this isn't even about bike lanes. This is about people being able to live their lives in a daily basis at the job, at the grocery store, this isn't just about bikes. Right. I've had a lot of conversations lately, and I've been thinking a lot lately about the sort of the, the general appeal of cycling or their lack thereof. Um, I mean, I don't think it was maybe two or three years ago now, I you know wrote this article after coming back from the OR show, the Outdoor Retailer Show in Denver, about you know just how differently the outdoor market or how differently the outdoor industry markets itself to the, the public as opposed to how cycling markets itself to a, to the public and you know cycling it's all like you know suffer suffer race race go faster go harder sweat you know you know pass out at the end and you know in the outdoor industry it's all about like smiling people and having fun and checking out the outdoors and that sort of thing like th those are the sorts of things like that's the kind of imagery that you see that you want to be a part of i mean there there was all sorts of you know, imagery of different types of people, different body types, different mm -hmm. skin colors, genders, so on and so forth. I mean, it, it's it's like that industry figured out quite a long time ago that being inclusive, as it turns out, is good for business. Weird. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, while you know, there's obviously a lot of controversy right now about this, you know, this particular cross worlds in Fayetteville. And yes, like you said, there are a lot of people calling for boycotting, you know, abandoning all the companies who are in Arkansas, who are supporting the event, that sort of thing. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, like you, I'm not going to necessarily tell anyone what to do. I mean, there are a lot of people who are saying like, oh, you know, James, you're the tech editor. You shouldn't be covering Rafa. You shouldn't be covering Allied, so on and so forth. And, you know, and I've thought a lot about that. And I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how effective that would be i mean that's going to seem like a cop-out to some people because they're going to say like oh you know you still want to you still want to you know play to the marketing hands and you don't want to like shun anybody so on and so forth but i mean the point being is you know if 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 you want to make a statement you want to make some sort of impact and you know kind of you know have you know sort of i guess prompt some sort of positive change I guess the question is, what is the most effective way to do that? And I, I guess I'll ask you this. I mean, in terms of, you know, this, all these calls to boycott and whatnot, I mean, people are certainly, 
equating that to, you know, they call it, you know, cancel culture. I mean, it's, right. you know, they, it, people are certainly jumping on that cancel culture band, bandwagon. You know, there's, you know, there, there would rightfully be, or there would, there would be plenty of collateral damage impacting people who admittedly have nothing to do with either of these laws, who probably maybe disagree with them. I know, you know, Northwestern Arkansas apparently is to like the more progressive corner of the state, that sort of thing. Um, what should people be doing, however, to make some sort of impact on all this? Because, you know, so there's so these two laws that we're talking about. I mean, one of them has already been signed into, into law. Um, the second one was vetoed by uh, by the governor, but I mean, they had enough votes in the state legislature that it was just pushed through anyway, that that veto was overridden. So and both of those laws are now on the books. Um, so, you know, if someone wants to do something, if someone wants to try and change things to be more inclusive of people, what should people do? And again, like this, like you said, I mean, this isn't just some sort of, you know, social justice sort of thing or whatever. I mean, this does right. have an impact on cycling because the whole point is if we want our sport to survive, if we want more people to ride bikes, it is important to really increase the appeal outside of the typical demographic. Yeah. One, let me start by saying I don't dislike bike racing. I know that's a big thing in, in bikes is not like you can be like anti this or, you know, whatever. I've stayed up till one in the morning to watch the start of Flanders, went to bed, woke up and watched the end of it. You know, I mean, I love bike racing. It's, well, yeah, it's, it's I, I love it. It's just that bike racing is not all of cycling. It's not everything, right? So again, for those 60%, even maybe those 90%, the no way, no hows, they should still be part of this conversation. So I think for me, I want to take this back and say, one, I don't exactly know what everybody should do, but I have sat in that seat. And and I was that person at Shimano, and I did have a, um, a, a voice at Rafa. And so I've been asked, you know, like, why are you picking on those two people? It's like, they're my family. I know those people. Like, I, I'm telling them I that they can do something, and I believe in them, and I'll support them. Right, because there's an opportunity to do something here. I'm absolutely saying, I, I sat there, I, in many cases, most cases probably didn't do anything. And now that I've learned a lot, I know you can. And I believe you. And I have had zero negative feedback over the past four or five days. I mean, we're talking like thousands and thousands of shares, hundreds of comments. So many people sent my way, phone calls. You know, I, no, there's nothing bad is going to come to an established brand or an entity that says, hey, this is a really hateful practice. We should consider the idea of being open to moving this race if this community doesn't represent all people. I'm not saying boycott, I'm saying consider the options, but to just simply be placated by, and this is definitely the bike industry, right? Well, we got a little bit of money, we shouldn't rock the boat, you know? And, and so I wanna be really clear here. I do not and know and have never met Tom and Stuart Walton. I don't even know how to refer to what their entity is. I've heard a lot about them, I'd love to meet them, um, you know, I'd love to know what they are up to because they, they have done a lot. They've spent $70 million on trails that I want to go ride. Um, but what concerns me is, was the bike industry used and is it being used through bike racing and these premier bike events as very low cost to no cost marketing assets to build a, a, a tourism engine that that's going to going to 
you know, put put money in the in the wrong pockets and the wrong policies and the wrong institutions. Will will we? And I I consider myself part of this, which I'm not. I'm just some guy at this point. Uh, benefit from it. So like Arkansas is what it depends on what you look at. It's anywhere from like the the low 30s to the high 40s in tourism by state ranking. Well, what if they moved up 10 spots? How much money is that? And how much money will the bike industry receive back for, yeah, they've had people come in and do symposiums or you do a catalog shoot here or whatever, but like, okay, cool, that was fun, but what are we getting from it? And then on top of that, we all have friends and family and, and, and people we want to ride bikes who say, oh God, I, I can't do that, I, my life's at stake. So I think for me, it's that it can't just be, it's a bike race, it's a good thing, let's be very thankful for that. So again, I'm not suggesting that is what's at stake here. I'm saying I don't know anything to see, haven't heard anything otherwise for that. So no, not saying boycott the race at all costs. However, it should be considered by USA Cycling. I mean, Major League Baseball just did it with the All-Star Game. Right, right. NBA did it with their All-Star Game several years ago. And I mean, the Major League Baseball game, I think, had an economic impact of $100 million dollars. Right. I mean, Crossworlds is obviously not going to have a $100 million impact on the area, but it's not going to be nothing either. Um, no. And and there's some big sponsors in there. I mean, Shimano is a top tier sponsor for everyone. And I understand you don't want to rock the boat. I'm not saying that, you know, there's anything nefarious at play here, but the consideration should be made. There are communities that are willing to celebrate the full breadth of the American citizen. And those right. are the places where we should take our money and our events. Right. Because if this whole point of putting a lot of time and energy into cross worlds in Fayetteville in the United States is to kind of promote the image of cycling and kind of like boost the profile of cycling in this country in general, there is more opportunity to do that than just a cross race. Um, you know, you have a very long history in PR and media relations at you know a bunch of these companies that you've worked for. If you were still at, you know, if you were still at Shimano or if you were at USA Cycling or if you were still at Rafa or whatever, what do you feel like would be the appropriate response from these companies? Because a lot of people are clamoring for responses from these entities, and you know, a lot of these entities that are either involved in the race or you know, based in Arkansas in general, a lot of people are noticing that there's just been an awful lot of silence. Like it just seems like a lot of these entities are kind of just like hoping and waiting that it's just going to blow over so they don't have to do anything. Like you said, like no one really wants to rock the boat. But if they, but if they see it instead as an opportunity, where can they take advantage of, the, of that opportunity and also kind of promote a good message and maybe just kind of do something good in general? Like where, where, what can they do? What well, should they I do? Say, yeah. I mean, USA Cycling, how this really started for me too, opened up their inclusivity discussions, which start tomorrow. And I think they have eight of these over two and a half weeks where they've invited eight people to sit in for an hour and, and share their thoughts on what inclusivity means. Um, what they do with that, I don't know. I mean, that's the other thing. This is not going to happen overnight, you know, Congressman Earl Blumenauer from, from Oregon said, you know, it takes seven years if you want something to happen. So you have to be prepared to do the long haul here. So um, we can't boycott racing for seven years. 
So let's figure out a way to make it work. Um, you know, there's been a lot of calls. I've had a lot of calls about what what to do. And, you know, I think the the really smart people and brands are the ones saying, how much can we learn in the time that we're talking with you and other people? Then there's the small percentage of brands and people that are saying, what's the minimum we have to do? And then there's probably a larger percentage that are just saying nothing. And, you know, I've, I've, I learned in PR a long time ago, if you don't tell people what you're about, they'll decide for you. And generally we'll lean towards the negative. And I get that many people and brands aren't saying anything because they don't know what to say. And it's scary. I get it. Like, I am not, I'm not an expert on the, the trans community. I'm not an expert on the LGBTQ community. Um, and I don't want to represent anyone from there. I can represent myself and how I feel. And, but I think it's better to say, gosh, we don't know anything and we need to go find those people. I think so you start with that. You know, I'm going to ask USA Cycling. People ask me, what are you going to ask USA Cycling? I'm going to say, please don't ask the marketing managers at your sponsors what, they, what you should do. Because they're all going to say, have the race. Because that's what they want and need to do. And I don't, you know, that's not it. So we've got to expand the, the community and, and to ask a little bit beyond that. Um, you know, James, I... I, I <laughs> I would just like to know a little bit more. You know, I, I, I don't know enough just yet. Um, I just look to the things, I guess, that I understand and I have experience with, and I see a, a state that has a, you know, a transportation infrastructure rating of 43rd, and I wonder what are they gonna do with the money that comes in from this? Um, I can speak with experience from my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, which I left because it was, you know, it, it was not meeting my needs. And when I returned in 2015 for Road Worlds, you know, there was some inroads made. And in the time since, opposite all of the Olympic stories that you hear, they've spent the money in really good ways. There's bike lanes and protected bike lanes and bike infrastructure all over that place. And moreover, socially, look what they've done. They took down the statues. Now, are those necessarily related? I can't speak to that, but I do feel like the city began to change. And so I can say experientially, I felt a difference in that place. Right. In, in terms of sort of the way that they were trying to just generally appeal to a wider audience overall. Right. I don't know if we're going to feel that from, I would get a sense that Northwest Arkansas is going to make this a regular occurrence. They're going to have major races and events on an ongoing basis so that the community begins to recognize that cycling is, you know, it's, it's good for the economy. And then, so then everything falls into place, right? Then there is more bike infrastructure and whatnot. Just haven't maybe seen that. So back to the, what should people say and what should they do? Um, they should ask what USA Cycling finds out first and foremost, and figure out ways that they can do what they want to do. I've had, you know, one team reach out to me that has to go to that race next weekend and said, should we not go? And I said, of course you should go. Like, you need to go. Um, but do what you think you can do. And mostly I said, you've got young athletes, let them tell you because right. they know. 
let me ask you this. I kind of want to finish on this note. Uh, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I mean, who knows how many people have, have, have stayed stayed with us throughout this whole conversation at this point. But, you know, for those of you who have, thank you. Um, but, you know, I mentioned earlier that a lot of people who are listening to this, you know, they're saying to themselves, I'm not trans. I don't have family members who are trans. I don't have any friends who are trans. I don't know anybody who's trans. I don't know what it means to be trans. I don't like, it's like all this, there's all this stuff going on in the background. I don't know what it is. It doesn't apply to me. I don't care about it. I don't want to hear about it. I just want to watch the cross race. Right. For all those people, what do you, what do you say to them? Because that ultimately is kind of what I feel like is at the core of a lot of this. It's if, if, if people feel like it doesn't affect them, that it's really easy to just not care about it, to complain that I'm talking about this at all right now on a cycling podcast. So what do you say to those people? You know, it's not a conversation I have all that often other than I would probably say you do know someone probably close in your, in your orbit that, that is close to this issue in some way, uh, first and foremost. Or you don't know someone because they're completely afraid of their well-being to even speak up or speak out. Um, and, you know, I think for me, it's just about recognizing that um, we have this belief in this diversity and we have to believe that everybody gets to be diverse, you know, because if we close off and, and shut off one group, then who, then you just go, do we go to the next list until it's just the, the people that were in, like last on the list? Um, you know, James, I don't know. I, I, I got to tell you over the past three days, I don't really know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know what, what's happening with this other than I want to encourage and remind the people that they can make a difference and they really should stand up for everyone because we've all said, we, you know, we want more people on bikes, but there's no more of us. You know, when I say us, I mean the 1%. Like, there aren't any more of us, but we just can't expect that they're going to be and look and act and be inspired by the things that inspire us. So, um, you know, but to, to think that there isn't anyone in your personal orbit who isn't, you know, trans or queer or of a certain ethnicity or what, you know, whichever it's, 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 it's I don't know, it's, it's, it's very myopic. And, you know, we know that the, Sometimes the, the the bike industry can kind of be very centered on a, a very homogenous person, because the either the sport or the activity just has just made us all like this kind of same person. Um, I don't think there's any there's no nothing nefarious in that. It's just that now that we're saying we want more people, we got to mean it. Right, because ultimately, when all is said and done, I guess the thing that cyclists should. I mean, even if it's self-serving, I mean, I guess one reason why they should care about all this is because it does benefit all of us to have more people riding bikes. I mean, ultimately, that's what it, that's that's what it's all about, right? I mean, we all like riding bikes. We all love bikes. It would be awesome if more people could kind of experience that joy that we feel with riding bikes. Right. And it does benefit all of us to be in that position and it would be nice if the bike industry would kind of recognize that a little bit more widely and take some harder stances and, you know, kind of make some tougher decisions to really actually make that happen instead of, like you said, just kind of sticking with the status quo and marketing to the same people over and over again. 
Right. Which again, there, there's a place for it and I love it. And like, let's keep doing that. But let's, you know, it's, I don't understand right now with bike sales, like bikes are sold out to infinity. Why we're not putting more money towards policy. Like, I just feel like whether it's road safety or, you know, diversity, whatever, like the money is still not going there and the, and the attention is still not going there. And yet we still believe that those those communities are going to come to us because we're bikes and we're better. And it first step was people seeing themselves represented and we've done that. Now it needs to be people believe they are being heard and believe they are being listened to and seeing the outcome of that, that listening. Um, so, you know, I know we've kind of been all over the place with this and I don't really know what, <laughs> what it all means. And then I don't, I'm not out to, to get any of the, the brands or the race or anything here. I'm just saying, we've been saying we want more people for decades now. And, and here we are with people who are saying like, okay, I'd love to do this, but I'm really afraid of these things. And we say, no, no, that's not what's important. Right. Let's sponsor another team instead. Right. And so here we are at a, at a juncture where getting back to your tweet was, Yes, there's a lot of great trails there. I need more than that. I, I need to understand a little bit more on the policy that um, that will be, you know, driven by the income that comes from this. So, right. Well, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, neither of us expected to have any sort of resolution or amazing answers in what. It's been a half hour or so. <laughs> right, right. We're, we're not going to solve this in half an hour. Um, I, I am glad that you brought up the question of what we're doing in terms of policy, because as it turns out, I did have a really good conversation with Jen Dice the other day. You you and I both know her. Yes, uh, very she well. Is, she's running People for Bikes. Uh, and I, I had a nice interview with her talking specifically about that exact topic in terms of, you know, particularly right now, we're going through this huge kind of COVID-fueled bike boom. And, you know, that I posed to her that exact question, you know, we, you know, the bike industry, you know, I, I've been doing this for what, 15 years now. And I've listened to bike companies talk over and over and over and over again about how we need to grow the pie, need to grow the pie, need to grow the pie. And yet we still keep doing the same thing over right. and over and over again. So, uh, I'll save that interview for another day, uh, but it'll be coming soon. Uh, we'll, we'll play that on a future podcast episode, but thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, she's amazing. And uh, almost everyone who rides a bike should thank Jen Dice. And, you know, I think that's uh, something that I referenced in my social media the other day is having gone to the bike summit over the years and to watch it dwindle, like where's the multi-billion dollar table? Right. You know, wh where, when I look around a VIP tent at a bike race and you say like, whoa, there's some real heavy hitters here. Why aren't they in state legislatures as well? Right. Why aren't they at the National Bike Summit? Because those people will make a difference. You know, and they can. Like anybody can get a meeting. You can make that happen. Like if I can get a meeting, trust me, those guys can get meetings. <laughs> and they can get something done. Um, and I think that's more or less what we're saying here is um, I did get asked if someone said to me, like, do we have to say something about everything? You know, we put out a, we've said some things about diversity. Do we have to say this about this? And I said, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to say something to be on the good side of this issue? This right. is a hateful, discriminatory, illegal, 
policy, why wouldn't you want to say, we stand in opposition to that and we think the events related to this area should be considered to be under threat of removal unless there is action taken. Why wouldn't right. you want to say that? And, and, that, and at the very least, you know, raise the question, raise the concern, you know, just bring up the conversation instead of just, dust, you, know, you know, instead of just sweeping it under the rug and hoping it goes away. Yes, because, do, you know, every, every dollar is, is a vote. Chris King taught me that one. Uh, and, and it's true. It, it really is true. And that will, um, it will make meetings happen and it will make action happen. And so, again, not a boycott, but I think a, a strategic application of changes in plans. I've heard from a lot of people, hey, I was going to do the same thing. Now I'm going to go here or I am going to go there, but I'm going to do this. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's a strategic way to address it. Um, I would just like to see a little more attention paid to that because, as you and I both know, the sport can't thrive if that interested but concerned, and we all know what their concern primarily is, is safety, but the concern also might be, I don't feel safe in a community of guys that are super macho. Then we have to say, well, wait a second, cycling doesn't belong to us or them or this person or this group or whatever. So I think that's kind of what I'm asking for right, right now with, you know, what are you spending marketing money on right now? Right. You can't buy anything. Right. Well, you know, I think I think we can both agree that in one sense that that's maybe a big ask, but mm, on the, sure. in the in the sense of what's what it'll take to kind of get to that point. But at the same time, it it it's the question that is very much worth asking and should be should be asked. Yeah. And it will certainly be interesting to see what, if anything, really comes out of this whole thing long term. But Fingers crossed something good will come out of it one way or the other. We'll see. Yeah, thanks. You know, somebody asked me, I know we're, we're closing up here, uh, like, what do you think is going to happen from this? And I said, well, one thing's already happened from this. You and I are talking. Exactly. You know, people are talking. Um, people have reached out to me with, you know, questions about they've had a family member who's also come out or brands are talking to each other. Like, that's happening. Okay, good. Because we're going to face a crisis somewhere else soon over something better that we begin to have a practice of working together um, on this. So I do think something is already happening with and potentially with some of the, the younger people coming in the, into the industry of understanding that they can do something. I mean, that's just been my message all along. I am not calling out brands saying you're doing a bad job. I'm saying, I believe you have the strength to do this and I will support you. Well, I'm not sure I have anything better to add to that. So I think that would be a good place to finish. Great. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for your time. I know yes, that this is a really important topic. I know it's also a, also a very deeply personal topic for you. So uh, I, I really appreciate you opening up about it. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So I mentioned earlier in the episode that a lot of people listening to this probably feel like a lot of this doesn't affect them. Like this, this trans thing seems very distant. It feels very disconnected. Uh, but as I said, I mean, there are a lot more trans people in the world than you probably realize. Um, and whether or not you think you know anyone who is trans, there's probably a 
better chance than you realize that that's not the case. Um, but anyway, as far as how these bills affect these races and why we are involved in this sort of thing is, you know, this this SB 289, the one that's most broadly written, that is the one that probably is has, you know, I guess is most directly affecting the situation here because, you know, let's say that you are a trans person and you have been interested, you you were planning on going to either uh, to, to the world championships in January. If this bill stands, uh, and it has been signed into law, just, just to make that clear, if it stands, then if you're at a race and you crash and you break your arm, medical staff, doctors have the right now to deny you service because they have some belief that, you know, they have some sort of conscionable objection, essentially, that they don't have to treat you. Uh, but that same thing goes, like, if you cross into state borders and you get into a car crash, unless you, I mean, there is an exemption written that, you know, like for life and death situations that, you know, they have to treat you. But I don't know. I don't know where that line is. I'm not comfortable with having someone else decide where that line is. If I am bleeding out and it's, you know, I'm going to die in a day, is that a less of a life-saving situation or is that not a life or death situation versus if I'm about to die in an hour? Like, I, I don't know. I would still like healthcare if I broke my arm. That would be nice. Yes, yes, it would be. And but the point being that to 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 be able to deny someone that sort of right of 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 healthcare of medical of medical care seems. I mean, I, I don't care what you think about trans rights. I don't care if you believe that the whole trans thing is a whole you know bunch of you know bunch of BS. Whatever. I don't care what you think about it. But I have a hard time thinking that someone can look at a trans person and not think that they are still human and think that it is okay to do this. It's not, and I think that's why I think that's why we decided to to sort of put our foot down on this one, right, James? I mean, there the there's been quite a bit of silence, I think, in general from from the bike industry, um, and there's a lot of reasons behind that, which we don't necessarily need to go into in this particular podcast. Uh, but we felt sort of on a personal level that this is something that we couldn't we certainly couldn't condone and that we we really couldn't put any any you know cycling tips resource into right we don't we don't want to put reporters on the ground we don't want to spend our money in a place that has these sort of laws in place that said i don't want to boycott an a, a us world championships uh, I missed Louisville last time. I did get to go to the Richmond Worlds when they were here, the Road Worlds. It's a, it's a really special thing to have worlds in your country. And I want to figure out a way for us to be able to be in Arkansas and cover the World Championships as we normally would. I think that what we what we are sort of asking our listeners out there to do is to make kind of similar decisions for themselves. Right, James? Uh, we want everybody to kind of, you know, take a look inside and decide for yourself what your reaction to this is going to be. We are not calling for a blanket boycott, just like Chris Stefano was not calling for a blanket boycott. Nobody wants to boycott uh, in American World Championships. So just to, reiter uh, just to reiterate and make clear a couple of things, we don't necessarily want to be talking about this. We would love to be talking about 
racing. We would love to be talking about cool bike parts. We would love to be talking about just riding your bike and, you know, all the fun, happy things that we love about cycling. But to kind of recap a little bit about that conversation that I had with Chris just now, this is related to cycling in the sense that if we do want cycling to be more broadly appealing to a lot more types and uh, to a, a broader demographic than what it has traditionally applied to, which is essentially middle-aged, well-to-do white men. Uh, if we want cycling to be anything bigger than that, and if we want to be able to enjoy all the fruits that go along with cycling being appealing to a broader audience, then this, you know, trans people are people, and it is important to make it known. It is important for the cycling world to make it clear that we value more people than just the people it has traditionally targeted. It's not just about sponsoring another team, you know, putting on another race, that sort of thing, you know, saving a few watts, so on and so forth. So in this sense, it's really easy to focus on the negative here and just kind of like the, the crappiness of these bills and, you know, the sort of mindset that leads to these sort of things being put, to, you know, put into words and put into law. But there is also a really grand opportunity here as well, because, Companies, you know, the, the race organizers, USA Cycling, companies who are sponsoring, companies who are involved in this. I mean, yes, people people listening to this, you can choose to just boycott the all of these entities if you wish, if you feel that that, was the most, that is the most appropriate thing to do. But for all of these entities that are involved, um, and particularly for the ones that haven't made any sort of statement, haven't made their position known on this, which is most of them, I should say to this point, um, I, I want to put out there that Yes, this is uncomfortable. Yes, this is not exactly an easy situation. It's a lot more difficult than just designing some new bike. Um, but it's also a grand opportunity to make it clear to whoever might be out there who might be listening that you know cycling does care more about just that narrow demographic. There is an opportunity, you know, cycling uh, to make it clear that cycling is for everyone who can ride a bike. Uh, cycling is for everyone who wants to ride a bike, who might be interested in it. It's not just for that narrow group of people that we've historically been looking at. It's one of the reasons why, you know, there's obviously this huge kind of representation matters movement. It's, it's, you're seeing a lot more people of color, a lot more different genders and stuff in in print and and online advertising. You're just seeing a lot more diversity and stuff in this imagery, and that sort of thing is important. But so is something like this. So. Uh, for companies who have so far remained silent on this, you know, I, I have to think that there are a lot of people internally who have some pretty good opinions about all this, and they probably don't want to rock the boat because I'm sure there is a fair bit of money at stake, and you know, the bike industry is not exactly known for being flush with cash. But in terms of a longer-term play here, like, yes, there might be some short-term pain in terms of money lost if you have to take a hard position on this or a more challenging position on this. But there is certainly a much bigger long-term benefit that can be had if you, you know, I, I, I'm just going to say it, if you kind of take the right side of history here. One of the things that has been a constant theme in all of the conversations that I've ever had on freewheeling, on this podcast, in life, about anyone who rides bikes is that riding bikes is a activity that is universally loved by all those who do it. Whether you are commuting or riding bikes professionally in the Peloton or 
your weekend warrior, whatever kind of bikes that you ride is the sense of community and the sense of, um, being a part of something that comes along with riding bikes, whether or not these bills have anything to do with cycling, we have found ourselves kind of smack in the middle of it with the world championships. And I feel like you've said, like you've both said that it's a great opportunity for the cycling community to stand up that something that we saw this summer with the black lives matter movement, this should be getting the same type of uproar that that got during the summer. And I feel very personally about this. I just, (laughs) I don't know how to say the words. I don't know. It's, it is absolutely unexcusable. It's unexcusable to be silent in this situation. And, and so I understand that people will not be stoked that on this podcast about cycling, we are talking about politics and we're talking about U.S. politics because I know there are a lot of people who listen that aren't from the U.S. We have a lot of Australian listeners, a lot of your people from Europe listen to this podcast. And you may also think, oh, but this is a U.S. policy and so this doesn't have anything to do with me. But that is that is false. It's what is at the base of this is basic human rights and just being able to be yourself without feeling like you aren't allowed to be who you are. I guess a couple more things I'd like to add. I've already said a couple times that you might not feel that this applies to you. Um, I actually specifically chose Chris to talk to you about this um, almost because he is not trans himself personally, but because he has familial connections. Like I said, his daughter is trans. Um, And I almost felt like it was more important to have him on because if you feel like this doesn't apply to you, Chris might be a more relatable figure to you because, you know, there were several trans athletes, several trans people in the industry that I reached out to you who agreed to, to come on the podcast to talk about this. But the thing is, you know, Abby, you said your, your cousin is trans. Um, you know, several people who are listening to this probably do have family members that are trans and that sort of thing may not have been obvious early on. Um, you know, Kaylee, you are about to have, you're about to have a baby. My kid is seven. You know, a lot of times these sorts of things don't really make themselves known until a little bit later in life. So you might think that this sort of thing doesn't apply to you, but it might. And, uh, you know, again, we don't expect to have any sort of answers on these things. We don't expect to have, you know, we don't, we don't expect to have all the solutions in what whatever. This is an hour, 45-minute episode or whatever. That's just not going to happen. But the important thing here is to at least acknowledge that the issue is out there to at least it, it'd be good to not just write it off as something that you shouldn't care about. And it, it's important to ask the questions and just learn a little bit more about the situation and just be a little bit more involved than you think you might need to be. Um, because you might not care about it now, but you might care about it later. In terms of one of the other bills that you mentioned, James, having to do with trans women being banned from participating in women's sports, the International Olympic Committee conducted a study in 2016 about whether or not a trans woman had a physiological advantage over a woman when it came to participating in sport. 
And after conducting their study, they determined that a trans woman could participate in women's sports with a couple different ground rules, shall we say. So when it comes to the argument about whether or not trans women should be allowed to participate in women's sports and this this other bill that James mentioned, I think it's important to point out that the IOC is a huge governing body when it comes to sporting all in all different sports all over the world. And if they have said that a trans woman can participate in women's sports, then that is an important piece of information to keep in mind for for anyone who thinks that it's not fair. Highly recommend that you go online and you read a little bit about it because it's not as simple as it sounds if you're just hearing about it, you know, the the basics. Um, I might, might also want to point out, I've been looking into this a lot, uh, not just over the last few days, but um, you know, the, the concept of a wholly binary gender system is honestly a pretty recent construct in Western civilization. If you look back throughout history, uh, if you look back at the history of, you know, your own heritage, you know, wherever, whatever country you came from, whatever region you came from, there's a pretty long and established history of multiple genders, not just two. So the fact that we are only splitting people into biological men and biological women, yes, this is what we have all grown up to know. This is kind of what we all have are used to seeing. The, the challenge is that as we are learning more about the science, as we are learning more about you know different gender types, the difficulty, it, it's not an easy solution it, or it's not an easy thing to fix because we're trying to figure out how to put all of these different people into a system that is has been defined around two discrete genders. So I don't have the answer to that. Um, and that's certainly a much bigger topic than we are going to be able to figure out here. But again, that's just another thing to think about that, you know, this, this system that we've all grown up to, to, to think is just normal and, you know, it's just sort of the way things are. It may not necessarily be that way. So again, like, you know, do, do your research, look into things, try to keep an open mind and just, you know, try not to write things off just out of hand, just because you think it's, it's it is what it is. And fundamentally, we're talking about human rights here. Like we're not, you know, the the sp- sport is a human right, but I think medical care uh, is an even more important one, probably. And yeah, we're talking we're talking about about the rights of your fellow human beings, and it it doesn't really matter whether you think what they're what the, who they are is is valid. They are valid. It doesn't really matter what your opinion of them is. So. At the end of the day, uh, yeah, I think our I think our opinions on all three of these bills are are really clear. I mean, if the only thing we do is start the conversation so that people think about it, then that is a good thing. But like again, like we don't expect to have the answers. We are going to make plenty of mistakes. We're figuring this out along with everybody else. Um, but just start the conversation, keep keep an open mind, and let it run from there. Thanks, thanks for listening. We'll see we'll see what happens here, and you know. We'll go back to, to racing and, and bike nerdery in the next episode, but don't, you know, I guess don't expect that we're not going to talk about stuff like this again at some point. You can always not hit play. <laughs> you really don't want to listen to us talk about this kind of stuff. With that, we'll wrap up for today. Uh, RIPR mentions. Um, <laughs> 
sure we're going to get some feedback on this one. But as James said, take a moment, have a think, and decide what you want to do.